This is Pastor Derek Thomas of Living Witness Ministries, and I want to welcome you to the Living Word Podcast. I pray that today's teaching blesses you, inspires you, and encourages you to live a life worthy of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords that we serve. God bless. Our text is found today in Nehemiah. It's the second message in the series that we're in now entitled A New Season, A New You. And as we stated last week, more than ever before, God is calling us in this new season to new things. And in moving into these new things, we have to function and operate in a new way. Last week, we touched on the realization of who we are based on who the great I am says that we are. Today, we want to move from the realization aspect into the first steps of the actualization aspect of doing the work. Because the Bible tells us that faith without works indeed is dead and it profits nothing. So what you'll find written in the book of Nehemiah, beginning in the second chapter, verse 11. And I'll be reading today from the New King James Version of God's Holy Word. And I'm going to be reading from verse 11 through verse 20 in chapter 2. It reads in this fashion. So I came to Jerusalem, I being Nehemiah, and was there three days. And I arose in the night, I and some few men with me. Neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Neither was there any beast with me, save the beast that I rode upon. And I went out by night by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well, and to the dung port, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and the gates thereof were consumed with fire. Then I went on to the gate of the fountain and to the king's pool, but there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. Then when I went up in the night by the brook and viewed the wall and turned back and entered by the gate of the valley and so returned, and the rulers knew not where I went or what I did, neither had I as yet told it to the Jews, nor to the priests, nor to the nobles, nor to the rulers, nor to the rest that did the work. Then said I unto them, You see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come, let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we be no more a reproach. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. But when Sanballat the Hornite and Tobiah the servant and Ammonite and Geshem and Arabian heard it, they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, What is this thing that ye do? Will ye rebel against the king? Verse 20 says, Then answered I them and said unto them, The God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore we his servants will arise and build. But ye have no portion, nor right, nor memorial in Jerusalem. As we speak this morning to the subject, rise up 
and build. Amen. Rise up and build. We look at movies, and it's interesting to me how terms can get overused. And as they get overused, they tend to lose their value. They lose the gravity of what they mean. And every time a new movie comes out, you know, in a franchise, they say, well, this is a, the newest epic film. This is the newest epic this. This is the newest epic that. And we've taken the word epic and we've driven it into the ground so much so that when you hear the word epic, it really doesn't mean anything. But if you look at the word epic, epic is from a word in the, in, in the Bible that, 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 that's, from, that, that's in the Greek, that's epoch. And epoch stands for seasons. It's translated literally seasons. It's significant because when Jesus was leaving the disciples and getting ready to send the Holy Spirit and they asked at this time, will you restore the kingdom of Jerusalem? He said to them, you do not know the times nor the epoch. You don't know the times or the seasons that this is going to be done. Just know that as long as you're in right standing in the proper position, the empowerment is going to come. And when that empowerment comes, it's going to be a season shifting empowerment. You're going to be equipped to do things that are going to shift the atmosphere, that are going to bring about a change in the season, that are going to bring about and usher in a new way of doing things, not only for that day or for that week, but it's going to usher in a new season and it's going to change the status quo. And far too many of us as believers have kind of fallen into the trap of forgetting just how epic we are, just how epic God has created us to be, just how season shifting he's made us to be as long as we're in right standing with him. Amen. We look at our text today and Nehemiah, his name literally means Jehovah comforts. Uh, he's a famous cupbearer who never appears in scripture outside of this book. He's proof positive that it's quality, not quantity that matters. He's proof positive that you don't need a long expanse of time to make an impact. All you need is a strong relationship and a realization that no matter what, Jehovah comforts you and he's going to be in the midst to make a difference in other people's lives through you. Amen. The book here centers on three core themes. It centers first on Nehemiah's careful attention to the reading of God's word in order to perform his will. Secondly, it, it deals with Nehemiah's unwavering obedience to God. And lastly, it deals with Nehemiah's resolve to overcome in the face of adversity. In our text here, Nehemiah returns to Jerusalem to examine the wall that had been destroyed. Though the wall lay in ruins and he faced opposition, his unwavering obedience to God inspired Nehemiah to aspire to the completion of the work of rebuilding the wall for God's glory and as a symbol of God's eternal protection of his people. In the same way God desires to use us, whether we believe it or not, whether we want to accept it or not, each and every one of us are children of the Most High God. Amen. And as brothers and sisters and those of you that have siblings or had siblings like I have my sister, no matter what, we may fight, we may fall out, we may have disagreements, we may have issues, but at the end of the day, the thing that unites us, which is the same blood that's coursing through my veins, is coursing through my sister's veins, that's what unites us. And no matter what happens, it will seek to divide us. When it really comes down to it, I'm going to make sure that my sister's all right. She's going to make sure that her brother's all right. But far too many of us that profess the name of Jesus Christ 
fail to remember that we're brothers and sisters of the Most High God. And we do everything we can seemingly to pull each other apart and destroy each other. But I submit to you that God is calling us into a new season. He's calling us into a new season of rebirth, a new season of rebuilding, a new season of making a difference and showing the world that love truly does and can and will overcome and conquer hate. Amen. Our word is telling us today, our text is telling us today that we have to be active examples of godly change to others through allowing God to change our lives. Amen. We can't bring about change. We can't make that epic difference until God has made an epic impact in our lives. And as we let God make that epic impact in our lives, he begins to give us new insight. He begins to give us new direction. He allows us to see things that we didn't see before. Because when you see things from that standpoint and viewpoint of the spirit, you won't pick up the lust of the flesh to please yourself, to please yourself and to make yourself look good. So the first thing that we have to do to be that active example of godly change to others is we have to examine the damage, amen? We have to examine the damage. Now, no one sets out in life to willfully have an accident. If you get in the car and you start your car and you take off driving, I challenge you to find somebody that gets in their car to take off driving with the intent of saying, I'm gonna go out and, and hit somebody and wreck somebody's car and ruin somebody's life. That's not the case. When I was in driver's ed, they taught us that it's an accident because it happened unexpectedly. An accident is not something that you plan for. An accident is something that happens outside of your control, outside of your purview, oftentimes as a result of something unexpected. But I submit to you in the midst of you not expecting it, we still have a responsibility and we still have some say-so in making sure that accidents can be minimized and, dare I say, eradicated. Because if we're in a constant state of being aware of our surroundings, and if we're in a constant state, in driver's ed, they talk about it as defensive driving. Defensive driving means that you're out there driving, but in the midst of your driving, you're not only watching out for yourself, catch this, you're watching out for others as well. Because you're driving not only for your own benefit and well-being, but you're driving for the greater good of everyone else out there. Because it's taking on the mindset, even if I'm doing right, somebody else might be doing wrong. It's my job to make sure that I'm positioning myself to not only watch out for myself, but to watch out for them even before I watch out for myself. That sounds a lot like the agape love that God desires us to walk in. And even in the midst of the circumstances of the day here, Jehovah is still comforting through the one that literally carries the name Jehovah comforts through Nehemiah. He's speaking. If you look at verses 11 through 15, it says here in the midst of, uh, 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 of the night that Nehemiah he came to Jerusalem and he was there for three days. We established last week that three is a number of empowerment. So Nehemiah was established there just long enough to be empowered to do the season shifting work, the epic work that God had called him to do to usher in a new season for Jerusalem. Jerusalem were God's chosen people, but because they did not choose God, 
God allowed a season of, of destruction, a season of separation, a season of damage to come into play and to come into the forefront. God allows those things to come into our lives too, but he doesn't allow them to come into our lives to destroy us. He allows them to come into our lives for us to do as the word says, to examine ourselves, to take inventory and stock of the damage that's been done to us as a result of sin, not to break us down, but to build us back up. Yeah. One of the popular shows, well, the popular genre of shows right now is on TV, on HGTV is the the, 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 the flip them type shows where people buy houses that are just basically just just trashed and they buy them and they refurbish them then they turn around or they flip them and sell them and they sell them for a lot more than they buy them for why because they put work into those houses and you might say well if, if this individual has good money in their pocket why would they take that good money throw it as a, at a piece of junk and then turn around and sell it. There's no guarantee they're gonna get the money that they put into it. I submit to you that they've tapped into the principle that we as believers have had before us for generations and we're missing it. They don't look at the condition of the house in that moment. They look at the potential that that house has because every house has what they say are good bones, good foundational principles that can be built upon that can be maneuvered, that can be modified, that can be shifted just a little bit. If you strip a house down to the studs and those studs are on a firm foundation, you can move those studs wherever you want to in that house and change the look and feel of that house and change the room of that, of that house and change the capacity of that house and change the whole nature of that house. It works the same way with us. God placed all the principles and all the studs and all the bases and foundation in each and every one of us that we needed. The Bible says that each and every one of us are are fearfully and wonderfully made but far too often we're using our physical eyes and looking at what we aren't instead of looking at our, looking at ourselves through the spiritual eyes of the one that comforts us and helping us see the potential in one another God is calling us to examine the damage in one another first and foremost examining the damage in ourselves and realizing that we can't fix this in and of ourselves but there's good news there is one that can do the work to fix us. Nehemiah spent three days discerning what course to follow before informing anybody of his plan. Then what he did is he wisely viewed and surveyed the southern end of the city, noting the broken and burnt conditions of the wall and gates. Notice he said in the midst of everything that he said, it was broken and it was burned. It was broken and it was burned. Like us, we're broken and we're burned. We've been broken by sin. We've been broken by missteps in our lives. We've been broken by being in the wrong place at the wrong time. We've been burned by people that said that they had our best interests at heart. We've been burned by not listening to God and listening to our flesh and seeing things happen. But I have good news in the midst of that in examining the damage. Brokenness and being burnt can both be fixed. Those are conditions that can be recovered. If a bone is broken, it can be splinted and be fixed in six weeks. If a beam is broken in a house, it can be taken out and a new and better one put in. If it's burnt, it can be fixed. It can be cut away. The bad can be cut away and be replaced not only with something new, but with something better. God desires to come in and do that work in us. Yeah. Thank you. It was broken and burnt because 
the mindset got stuck in the old system, in the old epoch. When the success came to Uzziah, he built. It says in 2 Chronicles 26 and 9, and Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate, at the valley gate, at the corner buttress of the wall. Then he fortified them. That's critical to understand. Things cycle in seasons. Uzziah was in a good place. God had blessed him. God had allowed him to build all kinds of stuff. But this is where it went off the rails, and it goes off the rails in the same way in our lives at times. It goes off the rails when we are put into a position to thank God for what happens. And we're given a choice because by nature we're given the right to choose. And Isaiah made the decision to fortify what was done. But he fortified it in the wrong way. Look at what it says later on in 2 Chronicles 26 chapter in verse 16. But when he, he being Isaiah, was strong, or when he was in a position of being fortified, his heart was lifted up. Not with grace, but with pride. His heart was lifted up with pride to his destruction for what Nehemiah did is instead of giving God glory he transgressed or actively sinned and damaged his foundation beyond repair he actively sinned against the Lord his God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense in other words what Uzziah did is the building that he did he failed to realize that he needed to drive defensively because others were going to be building on that foundation. And he took it as his own press clippings and own achievements and allowed pride to come in. And pride led to his destruction as well as to the destruction of everything that he built. Everything that he built, Nehemiah was now looking at through the eyes of history. Everything that Nehemiah was referencing in verses 11 through 15 was at one time the glory that God had established for himself but instead man perverted and tried to take for himself. Sounds a lot like us in life today, doesn't it? God blesses us and he gives us something mighty. He gives us a work. He gives us success. He gives us advancement. Instead of giving God the glory and humbling ourselves under the hand of Almighty God, we want to use God's hand as a hand up to stand on top of God's hand and beat on our chest and say, look at what we did. But I submit to you that God is ushering in a new epoch. He's ushering in a new season in which as we assess the damage, we'll realize that apart from him, we can do nothing. But we can do all things only in through Christ which strengthens us he's putting the perspective back in the proper order he's putting everything back in the right mindset he's getting our mindset back on him and he's telling us to rise up and build and think about it in order for you to rise up that means you have to be in a lowered state first he's positioning us to humble ourselves under the hand once again of Almighty God as a nation, we say in our, 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 our Pledge of Allegiance, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Yet the actions that we take as a nation oftentimes has us under everything except God. We allow our pride, we allow our strength, we allow our substance, we allow our sustenance to place us in positions where God is nowhere to be found. And God desires us to come back to him. He says in his word, if my people who are called by my name will simply humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven. Then I'll forgive 
their sins. Then I'll heal their land because they'll be in the proper position to receive. I've noticed that there's a, even a physical, postural difference between praise and worship. And of all places, as we move into the next dynamic of being an active example, is best shown in our hands. You can tell the mindset of an individual based on the positioning of their hands in the midst of the situation. Because if a person is coming in saying that they're praising God, but their hands are positioned in a fashion, for those that can't see me, your hands are positioned in a fashion where your palms are facing you, and they're below your crown, which is your head. That's not a position of submission and surrender. That's a position of reception, meaning that you're looking to get something. And far too many of us are saying that we praise you, God, but we're looking for you to give us something. My parents taught me that the magic words are please and thank you. But before you can say please for the next thing, the proper thing to do is to say thank you for the last thing. So many people get up every morning and just put their clothes on and go about their day with in their mindset, their hands in that spiritual position. I want, I need, I'm getting I, I, I. Thank you, Lord. But didn't even take the time to lift their hands. And if you can see me, palms out above your head right. like a baby when they're crying in a position of surrender. Right. That's how you praise God and say thank you. And what Nehemiah was looking to do here was to remind the children of Jerusalem, to remind God's chosen people of who they were, to remind God's chosen people that indeed this is a new season and to walk them into the second dynamic of how we are active examples of godly change to others. And that's by exciting God's people. Amen. We got to excite the people. A person's not going to follow somebody if they're boring. They're not going to do it. Whether it's physically in person, as in this day, or in our super technological, social media driven, electronics age, practically flying car, living cells we are. Nobody follows anybody on social media that's boring. Nobody does. Why? Because it's human nature to be drawn to a fire. It's human nature to be drawn to something that draws off of something. Do you know what makes fire burn so bright after it started? I'll give you a hint. It's the thing that keeps us alive in the flesh that we can't see. The word tells us the life of the flesh is the blood, and it is. It keeps its physical flesh alive. But do you know what gives us literally the air, which is a hint we breathe? It's oxygen. When you set a fire, what keeps a flame burning and what keeps a flame growing and what keeps a flame getting stronger is oxygen. Contrary to popular belief, yes, the brush helps. The brush helps as a catalyst. But if the brush were put in a vacuum where there was no oxygen, once the catalyst was gone, the fire would go out. What keeps the fire burning that was started on Calvary, what keeps the fire burning in our lives that came and rested upon the apostles at the day of Pentecost is not the substance, the, 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 the fiber, the brush that, that, that is burning up. Thank you. 
but it's the oxygen that's invested as we preach, as we teach, as we witness, as we exhort, as we live, as we draw in breath, as we exhale breath, as we do all we can to be living witnesses of God. It's the oxygen in us that makes the fire burn more intensely, that makes the fire burn brightly, that makes it catch from one person to the other. It's the oxygen that you and I expend through witnessing the others. Let me tell you about a man named Jesus. That's what makes the fire spread. But so often what we do is we choke out what God wants to do. We take away the excitement. We take away, we take the air out of the room by trying to repress and compress the great things that God has done for us. We want to put a cap on God's blessings. We want to make it out of fashion to give God praise. We want to say that it's not okay to lift up holy hands in the sanctuary. When the Bible tells us that God inhabits the praises of his people. Why? Because the praises of his people are the praises of individuals that have realized that that Nehemiah's name is true. That Jehovah indeed does comfort in the midst of adverse conditions. In the midst of impossible circumstances. In the midst of improbable odds. God still comforts and brings us through. So we see Nehemiah here beginning at verse 16. It says here, and the rulers knew not where I went or what I did, I being Nehemiah here. Neither had I as of yet told it to the Jews, nor to the priests, nor to the nobles, nor to the rulers, nor to the rest that did the work. He didn't tell anybody. Because sometimes when God gives you a mandate, he gives you a direct order not to tell anybody. It's like top secret clearance. Because sometimes if the wrong people know what you're up to, They might be oxygen suckers to suck the oxygen out of what God has given you to take away the excitement because the Bible says to write the vision and make it plain upon tablets that they may run that read it. Because when they read it and they start running, when you start running, that means you're expending energy. When you start expending energy, that means that you need to draw in more energy. When you start drawing in more energy to expend energy, guess what you're using more of? You're using more oxygen. What makes fire spread? Oxygen does. The more oxygen that you engage in doing the work of the vision, the more the fire is going to spread because you have people engaged, you have people bought in, you have people taking their active role and taking the gifts and talents that God has given them to use them to make a difference in the lives of other people. But far too many of us share our vision with the wrong people, share our vision with people that snuff out fires, share our vision with people that, like Isaiah, have strange fire burners to where the God don't recognize. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. They're vision disruptors. They're dream killers. God is telling us to stay away from those people, but instead take what God has given you and at the appointed time and in the appointed place, excite people. Because if everybody's focusing, I'm thinking football here, if everybody's focusing on one person, if the quarterback is looking at one wide receiver in the corner the whole way, the whole defense is going to get that one person. That one person don't have a chance. But if the quarterback has mastered the art of sending people off many different ways, now the enemy has to break off, and now you got a better shot at fulfilling your destiny because it's much easier for the enemy to stop one of us than to stop all of us. 
So while the word says one can put a thousand to flight, two can put ten thousand to flight, three using the math can put a hundred thousand to flight, four could put a million to flight, five could put ten million to flight, a dozen of us literally could reach the entire world, and there's nothing that the enemy could do about it. You know why? Because the oxygen is spreading. The oxygen is spreading the excitement, the joy that we have. The world didn't give it to us, so the world can't take it away from us. All the enemy can do is use the things of the world to try to stop what God is doing, and as long as we're doing it God's way and in line with God's will, and generating that excitement, there's nothing that the enemy can do to stop it. It's up to us to do what we need to do. But Nehemiah had to get to the point of having a witness of some sort to share with the people to excite them. This is why God allows us to have testimonies. We can't have testimonies unless we have a test come in our lives. It's easy to say all these wonderful things, but it's human nature. Okay, but what has God done for you? And Nehemiah was like, I'm so glad you asked me that question. If you look at your leisure in the first chapter of Nehemiah, his testimony started. It started in verse 11. I'm picking it up in the midst of, verse, in the midst of chapter 1 when Nehemiah took the first step, and that was prayer. In the midst of what, what was going on with Nehemiah, Nehemiah prayed for God to do something specific. Quick synopsis of what was going on. Nehemiah had been visited by God and God had been dealing with Nehemiah about Jerusalem and he wanted Nehemiah to go to Jerusalem. And at that time, it was an impossibility because the king was the very king that was overseeing the exile of the people from Jerusalem. They got the people in captivity. So how are you going to go to the person that's got your people in captivity and say that God told me to have you send me back to the place where you took us from to rebuild the wall because we're going back there? That makes no sense. But part of this new season is for us to walk by faith and not by sight. It's not supposed to make sense in our natural, but it's it's supposed to make sense in the spirit. It says here in verse 11, O Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name. So Nehemiah wasn't only praying for himself, he was defensive driving, he was praying for others that felt the same way, that may not have the wherewithal to pray. He was watching out for other people and not just himself. God desires us to watch out for others, that's part of generating excitement. When you see that not only are you being blessed, but other people are being blessed and they don't even realize it, you know that God is up to something big. He goes on to say, let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy, him being himself in the sight of this man. Here's the key. For I was the king's cup bearer. That's the key to, being, to, to, to generating excitement. You don't go into a situation looking to generate excitement by being someone that's going to come in and just bulldoze everything. Someone that's going to come in and run roughshod. The individual that was not only naturally but spiritually equipped to do that, Jesus himself said, I didn't come that I might change the law. I came that the law might be fulfilled. Why? Because the fulfillment of the law meant that the blessing was coming. I got a game on my phone I play. It's a basketball game. They have a whole bunch of drills that, in my mind, make absolutely no sense. But one day I'm like, you know, what the heck? This thing for drills keeps popping up. Why not? Let me just play. So I'm playing drills like jump up on a barrel ten times and win this. Or, 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 or um, you know, make this many shots and win that. Or, or play basketball, golf, and do the third. And I'm like, God, this has absolutely nothing to do with the game I want to play. 
And he's like, oh no. Take a look at what's happened each time that you've accomplished one of those tasks that you seem to think are mundane. Each time I accomplished one of those tasks that I thought was mundane, I didn't notice it up in the corner, there was a little bitty box that had like a little uh, uh, lightning sign by it. And each time I accomplished one of those things, the little number by the little lightning sign kept getting bigger and kept getting bigger and bigger. And he had me do this for a time, a few days, right. over a couple of weeks. Okay. Then he said, now, click on that little button with the lightning sign by it. And I clicked on that little button with the lightning sign by, and, and the energy that I needed to grow, catch this, the energy that I needed to make my team stronger, to make my team better, so that in the midst of all the losses that they suffered, those losses could now be turned around and become victories, that team began to get stronger. And as that team began to get stronger, and I began to play with that team, a funny thing started happening. Those losses started turning into wins, and those last place finishes started turning into first place finishes, and before I knew it, my team was now winning championships like I was seeing about all people all around the world doing the same thing. And instead of me asking them how they do it, now they're asking me, how did you do it? But now I'm excited to tell you because with the oxygen that I have now to spread this fire, I want to tell you about the goodness of my God who led me through the situation. God desires us to go through things that may not seem to make sense to give us the oxygen that we need to spread the fire of excitement among his people. God can do the miraculous if we're willing to have the faith enough to trust him to do it. In this new season, the new you is a new you that walks by faith, that walks in the boldness of knowing that faith is the substance of things hoped for, that faith is the evidence of things not seen, that God is up to something big when it seems that you're out of the game. Look at what it says here in the second chapter of Nehemiah as we go on to the manifestation of the prayer. It says, beginning with verse 4, Then the king said to me, again, Nehemiah speaking, What do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, The queen also sitting beside him, How long will your journey be, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. Furthermore, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river, if they must permit me to pass through till I come to Judah, and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he must give me timber to make beams. And the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. In other words, the faith that we prayed in, the faith that we stood on, will allow us to go into an impossible situation and not only come out with victory, but come out with a decisive victory. Not only was Nehemiah not supposed to be told yes, he was supposed to be given a rousing no and possibly killed for what he was saying. But not only did God not allow him to get killed, not only did God allow him to hear a yes from the king, but God allowed him to hear a, a decisive victory, a yes from the king, with letters to get the timber that he needed, with letters to get the passage that he needed, with letters to get everything that he needed. The Bible says that my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. There's nothing that we ask for that's too off the reservation for Jesus Christ to do as long as it's in line with his will and according to our faith. That's the kind of testimony that God desires to do to excite people. 
When people come to you, why are you the way that you are? Let me tell you about a man named Jesus. Let me tell you what he built in my life. Let me tell you the inspiration for me to go out and build souls for the kingdom. And what that does is it generates and inspires excitement. It spreads that oxygen so that other people do the same thing. And before you know it, you have a roaring fire of believers that are on fire for God, changing the world. This is what God is looking for us to do. And we lastly do this by exposing the enemy. Because see, when fire burns stuff up, it exposes imperfections. Amen. When the fire is ultimately put out, Amen. the destruction that's left behind Amen. exposes what might have been hidden. Amen. Exposes maybe flaws in the foundation. Amen. Exposes maybe stuff that was out of place because there was nothing there's nothing covering it anymore. The fire burned everything away. It burned all the impurities away. It burned away everything except the elements that will remain. The elements that were foundations upon which whatever the building was that was erected was built upon. Verse nine, verses 19 and 20 talks about the last thing that I talked about from the outset. It talks about the, the adversity. The adversity comes to test you. The adversity comes to try us. The adversity comes to burn away everything that's not of God. And only those things that are of God are going to stand. Like the old hymn writer wrote, you know, only what we do for Christ will last because it's built on the firm foundation. Not only did Nehemiah have the king's permission and he wasn't rebelling, but he also had God's protection. And whenever you have the combination of God's permission and God's protection, you have the true witness and authority of God to do whatever it is. He sets your hand to do. Amen. He gives it to you because not only Amen. does he want you to have it, but he gives it to you because you need it. Because when he sends you out on a mission like that, trust, believe, and know that the enemy is out there waiting for you. The enemy is coming. The enemy is, is, is out there. He's not equipping us to go out there and just ride through valiantly, but he's equipping us to go out there knowing that he's thrown us out there, as he said in his word, into a den of thieves. I'm throwing you out there as sheep among wolves, the word says, when he's talking to the witnesses. But take heart, as I paraphrase, because I've overcome the world. Don't worry about it. I've got you covered. I'm not going to send you out there with more than enough, without more than enough. You'll have more than enough of what you need. Nehemiah, in verse 6, went on after this passage of scripture to have it illustrated just how we're to go about exposing the enemy. There's a method to it. First, we talk about what he's not going to do. Then we say what God is going to do. This method works. I use it at work a lot when I get, as a manager at my store, I get what's called escalations. And what escalations are, are, are customers that come in that, that are irate, that are upset, that, that are irritated, that, that are just being very disrespectful to my employees and to the environment in the store. And I say maybe seven out of ten times, you know, when a manager is called over, they ask for a manager, and I go over or one of my colleagues go over, they tend to change their tune because they respect the office. Of those remaining three times, two times, you know, rather of the remaining three times, we have to take this approach because I identified as a spiritual attack and affront against me because I know the authority in which I walk. 
And I let them go for a while and I strive to work with grace and I strive to work in meekness. And please understand, meekness is not weakness. The Bible talks about Christ being meek. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness defined is power under control. Let me say that again. Meekness is power under control. And it's in meekness that God desires us to walk in the boldness of our faith in meekness, which is control, a controlled, targeted response when the enemy comes in like a flood because the standard is lifted up against the enemy so the enemy can't hurt us. We could obliterate the enemy and do more harm than good, but he needs us to surgically attack and strike the enemy. Look at how Nehemiah did it here. In verses 6 and 7 it says here, it's reported among the nations. This is a letter that was written to him by the enemy. It's reported among the nations in Geshem says that you and the Jews plan to re re rebel. Therefore, according to these rumors, you're rebuilding the wall that you, meaning Nehemiah, may be their king. And you have also appointed prophets to proclaim concerning you at Jerusalem, saying, there is a king in Judah. Now these matters will be reported to the king. Stop there. Small K king. These matters are going to be reported to the king. So come, therefore, and let us reason together. They sound like idiots because, number one, God has already took care of that. Because, number two, the king that they're referring to, they're going to report it to, is, number three, the king that God moved on his heart and gave Nehemiah the right to come there in the first place. So there's nothing there. The enemy seeks to bring these strange fires to try to make us think that we're in trouble. But we're not in trouble. Because no weapon formed against us shall prosper. And every tongue that seeks to rise up against us in judgment, God, the, the Lord will condemn. So, step one. Nehemiah let him say what he was going to say. Let the enemy talk. But step two, which is the part that I like. He put the enemy in his proper place and shut him up. He said in verses 8 and 9, Then I sent to him, saying, No such things as you say are being done, but you invent them in your own heart, for they were all trying to make us afraid, saying, Their hands will, not, will be weakened in the work, and it will not be done. Now, therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. We expose the enemy for who he is? Then we ask God for even greater ability to do what he's called us to do. Because once we realize that the enemy only has the degree of power that we give him, because he has no power of his own, Amen. we can control how fast or how slow we be about our father's business. God is calling us in this new season to double our efforts, to double our efforts, to double our speed, to double the work product, because the time is drawing near for Christ's return. The word lets us know that one of the prerequisites of Christ's return is that the gospel be preached in every corner of the globe. We can look and see the enemy's hand at work in every corner of the globe. We can look and see men and women of God that are struggling in areas where they are because the enemy is doing like this letter that Sam Ballot wrote, trying to beat them up and make them think that, oh, the president's coming to get you, that, that, that they're coming to kill you, that they're coming to do this, do that, do the other. But Paul said it best, you know, uh, 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 to live as Christ and to die as gain. So either way it goes, I win because Paul got the end game in mind. We've got to get an end game focus. And an end game focus helps us to pray that prayer. God, strengthen my hand. I may have lost this round, but give me the strength to press on one more round. I may have lost this instance, but give me the strength to get up one more day. I may have had a bad day today, but give me the strength to stand another day tomorrow. I may have lost this situation, but give me another opportunity to do your 
your will and your work. And if we, as we take that in-game mindset into this new season, we'll then encourage others through exciting them. Hey, we got to rise up and build something new. The way that it's been done up to this point is not working. Our Father is coming back. Lord, The Lord Jesus is on his way back. We can't have the Lord Jesus coming back and the house look any kind of way. We got to get God's house in order. We've got to get this world in order. We've got to get our mindset in order. We've got to get our heart set in order. We've got to get our spirit set in order. We've got to get in order by allowing God to order our steps in his word. Because as we allow God to order our steps in his word, Jehovah will come in and he'll bring the comfort that we need. And no devil in hell can disrupt that comfort. Because when we rest in the peace of God that passes all understanding, he keeps our hearts and our minds through Christ Jesus. So that no matter what the enemy seeks to come, well, no matter what the enemy seeks to send rather our way, and no matter what comes to trip us up, we can take comfort in knowing that in this new season, we can truly be new men and women of God that watch out for our brothers and our sisters and encourage them to rise up and build. Amen. Amen. We thank and praise God for his word on today and we thank and praise God for all that he's doing in our lives. I pray that you were blessed by today's word. The Bible tells us that if we confess with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, that we would be saved. If you've never taken the opportunity to do either one of those things, won't you join me now in prayer? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I come before you a sinner. I believe that you sent your son to die that I might live. I believe that he lived died, rose again, ascended to heaven, and is coming back for sinners just like me. I confess my sin, I ask you into my heart, and I ask you into my life. Thank you, Lord, that by faith I am now saved. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, I'd like to welcome you into the household of faith and into a loving relationship of salvation with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Please email me and let me know of your experience or if you have any prayer requests or praise reports, please email me. The email address is livingtowitness at gmail.com. That's living, the number two, witness at gmail.com. Until next time, this is Pastor Derek Thomas encouraging you to live your life as a living witness.